and he said, um, absolutely love Stendhal. Tell me your address. I'm going to mail you a crate of beer. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, no, that's honestly, it's fine. You know, just pay your monthly fee. <laughs> right. It's happy. <laughs> Welcome to the Conversion Aid Podcast, where we help software entrepreneurs to take their business to the next level. Each week, we interview proven industry experts who share their strategies and insights to help you create software that sells. Here's your host, Omer Khan. Hey everyone, welcome to the Conversion Aid Podcast. Now, I'm recovering from a bit of a cold, so you'll have to forgive me if I sound worse than usual. Uh, We've got another great episode lined up for you today. This week's guest is a developer turned entrepreneur who quit his corporate job to bootstrap his startup and he has never looked back. Before we get into the interview, let me tell you about our big giveaway that I'm running to celebrate uh, us coming up to 100 episodes of this podcast. Flow is a project management software that simplifies teamwork. And the team at Flow have kindly given me three one-year licenses uh, for their studio plan, which you can use with teams of up to 10 people. And each license is worth $636 if you paid for the annual version. It's even more if you were paying monthly. Now, here are three reasons why I like Flow. Firstly, you get a clean and simple interface to help you get an instant overview of your team's projects and what everyone is up to. So it really makes it easy to keep everyone across the team up to date. Secondly, instead of using a chat tool like Slack separately to your project management software, Flow brings chat and tasks together so you can do things like creating new tasks right from your team's chat. You basically get an end-to-end workflow for your team in one app. And thirdly, working with remote teams is often frustrating, but Flow makes it really easy for your distributed team no matter what country or time zone they're in, and, and you're able to collaborate a lot more easier as if everybody was together in the same room. It's a great tool, and you can win one of these licenses, as I said, worth $636 each. Just go to conversionaid.com slash giveaway. Uh, and one of those three licenses is, is going to be reserved for uh, the ConversionAid VIP members, which will significantly increase your chances of winning because it'll be limited to folks just on this list and not uh, everybody in sort of the general public who who might decide that they want to enter the giveaway as well. If you're not already a VIP, this is a great time to join for free. All you have to do is go to conversionaid.com slash VIP and enter your email address. And if you join the VIP list before you enter the giveaway or you're already a VIP, then you'll be entered automatically into this special draw just for folks on that list. All right, with that, let's uh, get on with the interview. Today's guest is the founder of Send Owl, a platform that makes it easy to sell digital products online. He founded the company as a side project in 2011 while he was still working as a Ruby on Rails freelancer and within two years was able to start working on it full-time. He spent less than $50 to start this business and has bootstrapped it from day one. 
Today, SendOwl has four full-time employees and is profitable. He has a great story, and I'm looking forward to sharing that with you. So today, I'd like to welcome George Palmer. George, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm uh, very uh, humbled to be here. Uh, so George is joining us from London today, uh, my former hometown, um, <laughs> and even George was a little bit confused about where my accent was from. So that that shows how, after ten years in the Seattle area, I'm I'm really starting to lose it. Um, now let's uh, let's um, start by uh, talking about what what drives you. Um, yeah, I often ask my guests for a. Uh, a success quote, or just to tell me what what gets them out of bed every morning. So, what is it for you? Is, is there a, a quote that resonates with you, or if not, then then what 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 gets you out of bed? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. That was quite an evil question to start with. I mean, <laughs> I do I do have a quote, um, but what gets me out of bed in the morning is a great question. Um, I'll tell you, what, I'll, I'll answer those separately. So, my, my one of my favorite quotes of all time is by Woody Allen and it's success is 80% showing up. And I love that because, um, with the sort of development of the internet, you know, loads of people talk about how the rules of business have changed and you, you don't need to charge people. You just need to get really, really big like Facebook and, and then you'll be worth loads of money. You don't have to worry. And, um, I, you know, that, that's true. You know, there are some companies that will do that, but, you know, there's very few companies that will reach that point. And so um, I really love this quote because it just reminds me that actually, the, you know, the fundamental rules of business haven't changed. You can either provide a service or you can buy something for $1 and sell it for $2, you know, make a markup on that. And that's basically it. You know, that's still, you know, that's been the same for thousands of years. So I, I love this quote. It just sort of reminds me that actually if you just um, turn up and keep doing what you're doing and keep your customers happy and keep going, then you're doing a good job. So um, so that, that's really my, my success quote. Um, to answer your other question, what gets me up in the morning? You know, for the first few years on Sandow, I, I was doing the customer support because it was just me. And... The biggest satisfaction I got in these first few years was when we got a new customer and they were just so happy at finding Sendow. They're like, oh, I used to use a competitor and it was just so slow and it was slow and reliable. Or I just really love your design. Or I had one guy in the right of, oh, within a few months of starting and he said, um, absolutely love Sendow. Tell me your address. I'm going to mail you a crate of beer. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, no, that's honestly, it's fine. You know, just pay your monthly fee. It's <laughs> <Right>. happy. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, I really want to send you the beer. And he's like, you know, I know what it's like when you start up and, you know, it's hard going and, you know, you haven't got much money and there's a small team. And I was like, well, firstly, it's just me at this point. And um, secondly, we're in the UK, so you probably couldn't mail us the beer anyway. <laughs> And so you PayPal me $50, like, straight back. Um, so I promised myself when I got the first employees, I would use that money <laughs> and take us out. So <laughs> uh, when, we got, when we got person number two in the door, that's exactly what we did. Now, you, you know, your background is very similar, I think, to 
uh, a lot of people who'd be listening to this show, um, you, you started your career as a software developer. Um, I, I know you were at IBM for for a couple of years, um, and you spent some time doing Java development, and then and then eventually switched over to to becoming a Rails developer. Um, now, I think a lot of people, you know, may, maybe are in that situation where they're either in a a full-time job or, or maybe they're freelancing and, and kind of have a project on, you know, there's a side project, maybe they're trying to get off the ground. Um, how, how did Send Al come about for you? Because this was something that you started as well when you were still freelancing, right? Yeah, that's right. So I was at a client site and they were asking about um, digital delivery. And I sort of, I was like, oh, I'll look that up for you, do a bit of research. And I was just appalled with the quality of solutions that were out there. And I was like, you know what? I could do better than this. Um, so um, that that was how I got to it. And then I sort of um, used that one day a week I had and used evenings and weekends and wherever I could find time and to get the sort of first version out. I took about three or four months, um, outsourced the design, just kept it as minimal as possible. And the first version of, Send out. It wasn't even called Send out then. It was called Digital Delivery App, which is a crap name. And then um, <laughs> iPhones came out. So then this concept of an app really confused people because I was like, "Wait, it's not on an iPhone." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh god." Right. <laughs> so um, yeah, and back then, I mean, there wasn't even a shopping cart. All you could do is have a buy button on your site. Someone clicked it, and then they got a file delivered to them automatically, and they clicked it. So it was really minimal. So what were you uh, using for the the payment backend at the time? Because I, I assume. It wasn't something like Stripe or anything like that around at the time, right? Yeah, so Stripe wasn't around. So it was just PayPal back then. Um, and we did it subsequently the next year. We added a few that we've really sort of since removed. So there's one called SagePay, which was a UK one. So one called Authorize.net, which we still do support, which is a sort of... And they're more like um, they let you plug your existing merchant account into the into the internet. Um, so it's sort of like half of Stripe, if that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, so Stripe wasn't around. So it was just PayPal, and that's what everyone was using to sell in those days. So that was fine. Um, and then I, yeah, I got this. I got this first version out on the internet, and then I was like, "Crap, how am I going to get any customers?" <laughs> okay, so you've got the product out there, and and did you had you given any thought to marketing? So I had all been focused on the product, but what I did do is when I originally came up with the idea, I put a, a hundred pounds into AdWords, and I created a landing page for this new app called Digital Delivery App. And you could click the sign-up button, um, but it didn't actually, there was nothing there. All it did was record the sign-up and say, oh, leave your email here and we'll get in touch when we're live. And and what that enabled me to do was to test the click-through rate. And I think it was about 1.5%. So I knew from this pretty crappy design that I'd knocked up on a free website that one and a half percent of people were actually interested in the service, like interested enough to try it out. One and, and a half percent of people who arrived at the landing page, not yes, like, one yeah, okay. yeah arrived at the landing page and clicked that. So it was just like you know, click here to sign up, and it, it said like nine from nine dollars a month. So I knew they were willing to pay when they clicked that button. Okay, and it was just enough for me to validate that I was going to spend three or four months building this. Um. Because, you know, you could be onto a business idea and there's no, unless you test the demands, you know, you're, you're really stabbing in the dark. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was fairly convinced there was demand because there was four or five existing players out there. 
So it wasn't, that wasn't a major issue, but I still wanted to test it for myself. Did that put you off knowing that there were already four or five players in the market with probably customers and, and revenue and, and you were just starting out? Did, did that put you off at any point? It didn't because, um, you know, I'm a real fan of, of good design and I'll talk about good design a little bit later because what I consider good design is quite different from what other people consider good design. You know, people get caught up in the aesthetics and how it looks, whereas I think the function is much more important. Um, so, you know, I could see these sites and I was like, they're not doing a good job, you know, and I mean, I won't name drop, but one of them was using a flash interface and you can't get flash on your iPhone, you know, so it's just like, they're just so old school in their thinking and the design and the where the copy's written. And, you know, it, it did, it, on one hand, it's concerning that it's competitors. On the other hand, it's great because, you know, it's a proven market. Um, what you obviously don't know is you don't know their margins. You don't know how fast they're growing. You don't know how many customers they've got. Um, so it, it, it didn't really uh, concern me that much, to be honest with you, because I thought I could do a better job. And I didn't really think about it that much either. I, I was just, you know, at that point, just trying out ideas, trying to find something that could get a little bit of traction and then sort of devote myself to that. Okay, so the product is launched. Um you don't have any customers, so you now start thinking about how, how to... How did you get your first customer? How did I get my first customer? So, um, yeah, so I kind of launched and, you know, you sort of... When you launch one of these, and I'm sure this will sound familiar to, to many of your listeners, is you sort of press the button, you're there, you're live, you're like, oh my God, I've worked all the hours that God can send the last two hours and um, nothing tumbleweed what's going on <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> i build it now come right you know that's what happens so um kind of a week went by and i had like literally a few visitors probably one of which was my mum one of which would have been my <laughs> brother you know <laughs> um i was like okay right you know how hard can it be to find the first few customers so what i came up with is i searched twitter for uh, my competitors every morning and i looked for people that had moaned about them during the last 24 hours. And then I'll tweet them and say, hey, look, we're new, but um, uh, you might like to check us out. And I did this every day for a, a month. And I think I probably, I was probably averaging one or two tweets a day. And at the end of that month, I got two customers. And one was paying on the $9 plan and one was on the $15 plan. And the way that it works is you get the first 30 days free. So sort of the next month, I got my first $9 come through via PayPal. And I remember nice. that they really fond it because I was like, okay, this is a goer. You know, this somebody's paid for that. One person has paid for that. All I need to do now is find a load more people that are willing to pay for it. I, I think there's something that I think if anybody hasn't been through this experience, um, it's it's maybe hard to explain, but there's something amazing about when you create something yourself and somebody that you've never met before comes yeah. and pays you money for it. Even if it's $9, it feels like so much more, doesn't it? It's a beautiful feeling. It really is. Um, yeah, it's, it's really hard to describe, but it's like all the effort that I've done, 
all that time that I've put in, all that thought, all that stress, is somebody somewhere was like, you know what, this is the best solution for me right now. I'm going to get up there. I'm going to get behind these guys and sign up and, you know, run my business through them. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a great feeling. And um, actually, funnily enough, I still have this. I have a spreadsheet every month where I update the, um, you know, our income and our outgoing and our profit. Um, I mean, we do have now a, an accountancy SaaS that we use, but you get it gets confused with loads of other things like VAT and tax and that crap. So I, I love this little spreadsheet because it has a little graph. And um, the first month, you know, I'll have to get up and have a look. But I think the outgoings was $19.95 for a, a Linode for our server. And I think we'd pay like $20 for an SSL certificate. And that was it. Um, and then the second month we had this nine, this 15 in, so we're almost profitable. We're like, we lost like $5. And then by the third month we're actually profitable. And I was like, Oh my God, you know, I'm, I'm more successful than Facebook right now. <laughs> you know, I'm more profitable <laughs> and it's only month three. So, so, um, so was that it? Was that, those were your only costs at the time, the, the hosting for the app and the SSL certificate? Yeah. I mean, I can actually get it up and have a quick look if you want uh, to check out the exact numbers, but it, it it was very roughly that I always sort of say it and the um, where I give this talk. But yeah, I mean, it's you don't really need anything to to launch. Oh, hang on, I had twelve cents in in Amazon costs as well. So, um, yeah, there, yeah. So and that was for what some S three type hosting or something. Yeah, it must have been the S three hosting, and that had jumped to a whopping one dollars ninety one by month two. So oh. <laughs> yeah, so that, I mean, that was it. It was just the SSL certificate, the hosting, and um, you know, if I look now, we've got like fifty expenses getting out each month. You know, we've got a load more things, but yeah, to, to launch, you really only need a bit of server space, and if you actually run behind the Cloudflare free plan, you can get the SSL certificate for free now, so you don't even need to worry about that. So yeah, it's, it's even cheaper nowadays. Okay, so um, you've got those two customers, and you, you mentioned earlier that you, okay, I just need to go and find more of these people. Um, so what, what did you do? Did you keep keep sort of chipping away at, at Twitter every day, or um, did you start looking at other sort of channels to to find customers? What, what were you doing next? Yeah, so the, the downside of the Twitter was I initially did it manually. And if you typed like one of your competitors' names in, then it also brought up all the URLs um, that people had posted on Twitter that linked them. So you'd have to sit through a lot of tweets to try and find one where somebody wasn't actually trying to sell something. And if you search on Twitter for people selling stuff, there's just you know robots pumping out spam 24-7. Mm-hmm. So it was really difficult to find genuine. So I wrote a sort of script that just about did it, and it it pulled out a few. You know, it pulled out perhaps a short list of ten or fifteen each day, and I could just check those quickly. Um, and that went well for about a month, and then I can't remember what happened. To be honest, so Twitter changed their API, or or something happened, and I just couldn't find them. I couldn't reliably get to these people without spending an hour or so each day. Uh, and at that point, you know, I was, I was up to a few customers and they were all banging in support requests for extra features, all of which I knew we desperately needed. So I kind of got caught in the, what I call a feature rat race, which is where you're 
you're entering an established marketplace, you, you're sort of trying to catch up with what your competitors offer in terms of features. Um, especially in e-commerce software, the way that people buy e-commerce software is you can have the best support, you can have the best design, they can love your brand, they can love your company, but if they, you haven't got the one feature that they need, then they're not going to use you because you're no use to them. So um, so we kind of got caught up in this feature rat race for a while, but we were actually growing. And we are growing thanks to really that sort of first two customers. Um, I don't really know how we got from two to ten, but once we got to ten, we – oh, I do – I mean, there were a few things we did. We went around and posted on a few blogs of people reviewing the services, you know, reviewing digital delivery services and posting the comments saying, hey, I've just launched this new thing. And, um, uh, yeah, I don't really know after that. I mean, we sort of got to about ten customers, and one of them was a guy in Sweden, and he just told – he must have told everybody he met for a month because <laughs> we've got about <laughs> – Another five or ten customers from this guy. All from uh, Sweden? Oh, like all his pocket in, in Sweden. And then <laughs> next month we got a guy in South Korea who did the same. So had a pocket in South Korea as well. Um, wow. So we had these sort of guys who were obviously bringing us a few customers in. And then we happened, this guy called Mark Morris found us. He's a British guy and he runs a um, computer game company called Introversion. And he just emailed in and said, hey, um, I'm just about to launch a computer game. Just wanted to make sure that your site would be able to handle the load. And I was like, yeah, fine. No problems. You know, you, you don't really say no in those cases. And at that point, we were running on a $120 Linode, which I think might have been a one gigabyte slice. And... Um, what I didn't really question Mark about, and to be fair, he didn't know himself, was, was how big this launch was going to be. And I can actually talk about the numbers um, because Mark's very publicly talked about them. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to. But they took about $18 million <laughs> in the sort of month and the uh, a few months after of this launch. Wow. And they just got a hell of a lot of publicity. And it's a great, I mean, I'm not a computer gamer, but the premise behind the game is you sort of build a prison and manage it. Uh, it's a bit like theme park but for prisons and the videos are they just did a really funny video it was very british dry in, in its uh, humor and um it obviously just captures people's imagination um and this thing basically pretty much brought it didn't quite go offline but it brought our server very close to a standstill and they were running around panicking as they had sort of created, I don't know, a couple of thousand license keys and they needed more like tens and tens of thousands. And we had a, um, a performance bug in our code where, um, to be technical, I missed an index on the database lookup. So every time it allocated a license key, it took longer and longer on each request. And of course, they were throwing hundreds and thousands of customers as every sort of hour. And wow. um so this was like, you know, this was a bit of a nightmare for a few days. And I was at that time still working for other people. So I was like trying to jiggle the two. Um, but it really turned into a, a great win for us because Mark then, on the success of Prison Architect, went around and talked at a lot of conferences about indie game creation. And he just excessively plugged us at every conference he went to. You know, how do you sell it? Will you go to... You go and set up Sendal and, um, you know, use their buttons and you have it on your website. 
All right. So, so just, I, want, I want to kind of talk about this a little bit because um, first, first of all, just this experience of I, I'm assuming this was a sort of a, down, a software download for a PC or something, a PC game, mm-hmm. right? So, okay. So, um, in many ways, this is the the big. It's it's the biggest nightmare and probably the best outcome at the same time for any new startup that you have somebody who will suddenly drive so much traffic to your site and you suddenly, um, you know, it's like a day and night from where you've been seeing like one or two visitors trickling into your site. Now you're kind of, you know, you know, you're mainstream. But the nightmare is that suddenly you realize, <laughs> oh my God, my product's not ready. You know, I, I haven't thought about scaling. I haven't dealt with all of these yeah. issues and I'm finding all these performance bugs and, and everything yeah. else. So, you know, that's, that's kind of a, a, a really difficult place to be. But I'm, I'm intrigued what you said. You know, it didn't sound like, you know, he had a great experience with all the, the problems that you guys still had to deal with. And just because you hadn't been prepared for it and you were so early in the stage of your business. But then why, why, why did he feel happy enough to go out and tell everybody about you guys? What, what was it that you did to... Um, turn him into a fan yeah that's a great question um and I'll, I'll have to ask him myself when i speak to him next but from, from memory he, he certainly emailed me after saying why they'd gone with this um so we had some good license keys um at the time which wasn't that common so if you sell a bit of software as well as delivering the file each time it will deliver a different license key. So, you know, the first customer will get license one, the next customer gets license two. And then when you install the software, they can call from our server to, from their server to our server to check the license is valid. So there wasn't a lot of people offering that. And the people that were were either very enterprising, and extremely expensive, or they were one of our um, more established competitors that, Take took like five or six days to reply to support requests and had really high pricing and really poor performance. So I think Mark could sort of see that you know could see the future and he could see that our, our modern design and our great support and stuff was um, something that he wanted to work with. And you know I, I think he thought it was a lot bigger than we were. We certainly in the early days talked about we, and in reality it was just me behind the scenes. Although I guess you could have argued you know I was using someone for the design, so maybe it was a we. But but I think uh, but at that point it really apart from the the designer it was you, and you were still working as a freelancer, so yeah. you still had client commitments. You only had about a day a week to work on this. You had mm-hmm. f- the features that you were still being asked to build into the product, mm-hmm. but now you've got to deal with support, and suddenly you're hit with scaling challenges yeah. <laughs> much earlier on than you expected happy days eh? <laughs> i know you don't disclose revenue but the business is profitable mm-hmm. um and it's been profitable from day one as we talked about earlier month two yeah month, month two, two. <laughs> yeah. um and you've you've bootstrapped this all the way um did you ever consider taking any VC money? I know you've had uh, a number of offers uh, along the way. Did you ever think about that? Yeah, I mean, we've had, you know, 
we had a few offers in the first few years, and then the last 18 months, we've had a lot of people get in touch. If you take the VC money, right, you've got to go big or go bust. They want you to spend that in two years and see that you're going to either get a return or, or forget it. And yeah. for them, they, you know, they're leveraging their risk. They've got 20 companies like you. So as long as one goes huge, they're happy. Whereas for you, you can spend five years of your life absolutely busting your gut, and you walk out with nothing. And the thought of that for me is just, no thanks. I'm not interested in that at all. You know, I, I'm very low risk, as, as I said. But um, yeah, going back to that door analogy, I'll, I'll take the, uh, the decent wage and the, the cushy lifestyle and, you know, and build from there. Yeah, I mean, you, you say that, but um, I, I think in many, in some ways, you did take the other door. I mean, you, you did leave the, the comfort of, uh, you know, a corporate job and uh, a predictable salary to go and build your own business. But you've done it in a way where you have um, managed the risks and and built the business um, on your terms, which yeah. I think has been a, a really smart thing to do. T- tell me a little bit about what a typical day looks like for you. Um, you know, what time do you wake up? What do you do in a typical day or a week? How do you, how do you plan your time? They, yes. that, that was like a five-part question there. So. <laughs> yeah, well, I answer all the parts. <laughs> yes, there's <laughs> a test. not because I've forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my typical day, so my alarm will go up at seven. Um, I'm pretty good at getting straight out of bed. So I'll, I'll get out of bread, I'll grab some porridge, and I'll be at my desk by ten past, quarter past. And... Um, I will then work till about 11.30. And during that time, you know, I, I'm i very efficient with my email, but I don't like to spend time there in the, in the mornings. Um, that's my most productive time of day. So I kind of use that to my advantage. So I'll jump straight in. Um, you know, if you rewind six months ago, I was 90% of my job was still coding. Now it's a very small part. So I'll be straight into the code and working on whatever new feature Um was working on and then at 9 or 8 30 whenever andrew starts he comes on we have a little catch up um and that's just a couple of minutes stand up to discuss status of where we both are at um so andrew's developer and um then, then you know, I'll, I'll work straight through to like 11 30 i will also check in that time the support queue for anything urgent um because pool is in america comes online at two um but really that's my productive time so you know i aim to be head down and, and getting stuff done then uh at that point i head off to the gym so i'm really into my fitness and um i'll talk about this a little bit more if we've got time but um you know i find exercise makes me so much more productive i find doing it in the middle of the day breaks my day so when i come back i've had so I'll come back, I'll get back here about 1.30, I'll have a shower and some lunch. It'll be about two till I get going again. So about two and a half hours off in the middle of the day. Uh, and that just works extremely well for me because when I come back, I'm refreshed. Whereas if I sit here for like eight, nine hours, I just find myself slumping and my energy levels dropping. It just doesn't work that well for me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll come back, I'll talk to Paul. We'll probably do a bit of work on a couple of tricky support issues that we might have going on. Um, I'll, I'll clear my emails. I use that, especially the first hour after lunch. I, I tend to like to get all the odds and ends out of the way. 
and then I'll I'll get back on it about three working on whatever I'm working on um, to when I finish, which would be any time between five and seven. You know, six is probably an average. Um, I, I'm a big believer in like if you're in a great state of flow, then you don't want to break it unnecessarily. Um, but equally like again this is and this is long-term thinking like you can only do long hours for a very short amount of time and it catches up with you so um you know i don't really want to be working that much more than eight hours a day um so i, I try and focus on you know high value creating tasks rather than spending time in the office which is utter bull um and i'm the same with all the people we employ it's the focus on output it's not on the number of hours that you work so um yeah so that'll get me to there and then i'll um either eat or be out for drinks with friends or um sometimes off to gymnastics class it really depends what i've got going on in the evenings okay cool and then and then i'll go to bed and i always always get eight hours of sleep and not i don't always always but you know that's my target and the only time i really don't get that is if i've been out and had a big night out so yeah yeah, no, I really like the way that you have built this business, um, <clears throat> found and hired people who um, are attracted to the kind of culture that you want to create, um, and it's sort of working well for them as well in, in terms of letting them live the kind of lives that they want to live. Um, <clears throat> and, and I think that it's um, – I, I think too often – we kind of get caught up and especially over here in the U S and sort of the, sort of the Silicon Valley kind of culture of, of working obsessively, uh, you know, all, all the hours that you have and doing nothing else. And the interesting thing is that the more entrepreneurs I talk to, I'm finding more and more people like you, mm-hmm. uh, more people who are, are willing to talk about this, um, and who are creating more of a balance, who are looking at businesses for the long term and not just for, you know, something that they can do, for, you know, work on 100 hours a week for the next year and then have a quick exit. Um, mm-hmm. And they're building real businesses and, and they're doing it in a way where they're having fulfilling lives as well. And that's uh, that really is the best of both worlds, I think. So yeah, uh, hats it, off it, to you. <laughs> thanks, man. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I just built, you know, the company that I wanted to work at. And that's the great thing about starting your own company. You know, you decide on the culture. But I think something you just said that really hits the real of it. You know, we've had this massive financial crisis the last sort of seven, eight years, whatever it's been. And, you know, I'm just like, if everybody was a bootstrap company, there'd be such a tight web. You know, they've been on this crap pissing about with LIBOR rates and fixing exchange rates and selling subprime mortgages to try and boost the profits. They've been on that crap would be needed. And you just got a strong revenue. You just, there's no concept of financial. We didn't notice the recession. And when Greece had problems, we had a few guys who were like, well, can't actually pay my monthly fee this month because my credit card won't let me buy anything. I was like, oh, it's fine. Have it free for a month. It doesn't really. You know, I'm more than happy to extend that gratitude to you for, um, you know, something you can't control. And, um, you know, we're not going to come chasing you for $9 when your country's about to go bust. So, um, yeah, I, I just think if there's a, a web, you know, just imagine if most companies were like this, then 
you sort of you don't get this ridiculous economic system that we seem to have right now. So um, we're probably getting a bit philosophical right now, but yeah, that's that's kind of how I view it. Yeah. All right. Uh, it's time for the lightning round. So I'm going to okay. ask you a series of questions and I'd like you to answer them as quickly as you can. You're going to use the same questions that you've prepped me with, right? You're not going to <laughs> no, no, no. change the, these around. No, no, I, the, 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 the completely different questions. No, <laughs> All right. Uh, what's the best piece of business advice that you ever received? Um, yeah, this is a tricky one, but I'm going to go for um, D- DHH, as he's known in Ruby on Rails circles. He's the guy who created Rails. And he built this infamous slide and it said, step one, great idea. Step three, profit. What's step two? What's that? Everyone wants to know what step two is, right? Step two <laughs> is to charge. And I absolutely love that. So step one, great idea. Step two, charge. Step three, profit. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? I've got a few. Um, the four-hour work week, um, 37 signals getting real, and Paul Graham's got a series of great essays online, but I think he's made that into a book, so I think I can claim those. You know, if I'm starting a software business, there will be the three books that I'm reading. But I also want to throw a few others in there. Um, Mark Sisson's Primal Blueprint is about exercising and eating uh, the way that humans evolved, and that's a lot of what I base my fitness and diet around. That works extremely well for me. Uh, so that's a little bonus one I'll, I'll throw in there as well. I have to check that one out. Um, okay, what's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur? Uh, I'm going to have curiosity. Uh, I love people that just say the question stuff. Why is that like that? Why? Why is that? That's bullshit. That's a really bad way of doing it. Let's do it better. I can do better than that. And I, I think that's a, a great attribute to have as an entrepreneur. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? It would be a toss-up between Evernote, although I use a different client. I use something called um, Alternote because the Evernote client's part of bullshit in my opinion. Um, so I use that as a dumping ground to write notes on stuff that will be useful later in life. So, for example, uh process for hiring people's in there um but that's really more just like a dumping and i think in terms of productivity um people get hung up on these tools that like track the amount of time that you're spending on facebook and randomly surfing the web i, I personally use that as a sign if i'm spending a lot of time on facebook or surfing the web then i need a break and i'm tired so go have a power nap or go and take a 20 minute stroll in the park or something uh, I don't think you need a tool to measure that. I think you should be using that as a sign that you've actually pushed too hard. You need to back up a bit and give yourself a break. So um, my favorite productivity tool or habit is to uh, have a break. I love it. <laughs> um, what's uh, a new business idea or a crazy idea that you have in your head that you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time? Um, I have two ideas which I'm actively considering so I won't talk about those. But if I was starting another SaaS right now, I'd probably look at help ticket software. So we evaluated them all and we went with Help Scout. Found that was the best of the bunch, but to be honest with you, I've got a lot of problems with that. 
find they're all bloated. I find they're all extremely market, well marketed, but the product doesn't deliver. Uh, I think we're doing a much better job of that. So, um, yeah, if I was looking right now, it's a crowded market space. Don't get me wrong. It'd be hard to get into, but I think you could do a really good product there compared to what I've seen. What's uh, an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Um, a couple of summers ago, uh, myself and a friend built a traditional Italian pizza oven in my back garden. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I have a traditional Pompeii-style pizza oven, uh, which is stone, uh, like a stone dome where you cook the pizzas on and you can uh, stick the wood in and burn it and it takes a couple of hours to get up to temperature. A little bit like you'll see in the restaurants, but the restaurants ones are mass-produced. This is a individually um, built and designed one in my back garden. Um, it's got a sort of styling that matches the traditional London houses. So, um yeah, piece of party at mine, I guess, is the... Uh, <laughs> the so wait, so wait, you built a stone dome oven in your backyard? Uh, yeah, that's correct. Yes, there's a, there's a, the oven part, and then it's in what they call a case, in which basically, if you imagine the dome gets up to like 700, 800 degrees, you don't want to touch that. So it's actually... Um, if you go to my Twitter profile and look at the background picture, um, I'm Giorgio underscore 1999 on Twitter. You'll see a picture of it, and it perhaps will... Picture will speak a thousand words rather than me trying to describe it. All right. So I will definitely look that up. And, and finally, what is one of your most important passions outside of your work? Uh, I think it's going to be fitness. I think I touched on this earlier. You know, I, I love it from a productivity point of view. It, it really helps me focus. I have a lot more energy. But I also I love the parallels that there are to business in general. So the great thing about sport is it's really hard to cheat and get away with it. I mean, I know there's drug problems, but put those two aside for a moment. If you look at the guys that are um, performing the best in, say, a 100-meter sprint or a marathon, you can learn a lot of lessons from them in terms of what are they doing in terms of personal habits. You know, they are extremely disciplined in their time. They're extremely um, – they spend a lot of time worrying about rest and recovery uh, if you look at Team Sky, which is the British cycling team and has dominated the Tour de France the last few years, um, they've got a great philosophy called the accumulation of marginal gains. Uh, and that is at elite level sport or elite level business or anything. It's really hard to sort of get 10% on your competitors. But what if you could look at every area of your competitor and just nick 1% on them? What if your design could be 1% better? What if your support could be 1% better? What if your product could have 1% better functionality and then you can add up all those one percents and you suddenly find yourself 10 percent ahead so i I mean i'm really really into i spent a lot of time thinking about it and reading about it but um i think it's one of the few areas where it's very difficult to cheat and get away with it um in business i mean it's it's not the same concept of cheating but you know you might have somebody that's done extremely well but he was given a million dollars to start up by his dad and you know, it's pretty easy to make a million dollars once you've got a million dollars in the bank. So, um, right. yeah. So in terms of like performance and personal productivity, which I'm kind of obsessed with, then uh, I just love the parallels to the sporting world. I find I get a lot out of that. Wonderful. George, it's, it's been a absolute pleasure ch- chatting with you. Um, I, I think we could just easily keep going for uh, <laughs> much longer. <laughs> So, um, but I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Um, now, if, if folks want to find out um, 
more about Send Owl, they can go to sendowl.com. And if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, thanks to posters, I don't have a website anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> um, uh, I think Twitter tends to be the way that I interact with people these days. Um, so if you just go to um, twist.com slash Giorgio, so that's G-E-O-R-G-I-O, and then an underscore 1999, so one and then three nines, uh, then that's me on Twitter. And you can uh, send me a message on that and I'll reply. We'll add that to the your, your Twitter handle to the show notes so people can just grab it from there too. Um, George, thanks again. Um, and uh, it is, what, almost 9 o'clock? No, almost no, 8, eight seven, o'clock. 7, 7.20. It's okay. Don't I'm worry. Losing, <laughs> I'm losing it. Okay. <laughs> Great. Uh, th- uh, thanks again. I wish you all the best. And uh, I look forward to finding out what you get up to with Sendal in, in the next year. Thanks, Sam. It's been an absolute pleasure. Cheers. Okie dokie. I hope you enjoyed that interview. Uh, you can get to the show notes by going to conversionaid.com slash 96. And uh, the the URL for the giveaway again is conversionaid.com slash giveaway. And if you haven't joined the VIP list, uh, go head over to conversionaid.com slash VIP first before you enter the giveaway. Thanks for listening. I will catch up with you guys next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to Conversion Aid, the podcast that shows you how to take your business to the next level and create software that sells. But things don't have to end here. Head over to conversionaid.com slash VIP and get yourself on the free VIP list where we share special insider content and news about upcoming episodes. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you next time.